All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Liam Molshine checking back in. I'm the guy who deleted Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Snapchat, and Vine in one fell swoop as a result of the original Delete That App challenge, as well as due to a lot of personal angst about how my social media and phone use was totally consuming me. Can you imagine deleting all those apps off your phone and then keeping them off for two years? That was Liam. Longtime note to self-listener and friend. And he, along with many other listeners, have been checking in with us to tell us how they're doing two years after the smartphone experiment we did together on this podcast. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and I'm here to help you stay focused on what really matters to you in this crazy, accelerating world. If you're a new listener, welcome. Today, we are celebrating the first book to ever be born out of a crowdsourced podcast project. My book, Bored and Brilliant, is based on a week of experiments that 20,000 listeners did with me right here in 2015. For one week, we tweaked our smartphone habits, we spent more time just getting bored, and we discovered that it could unlock our most productive and creative selves. Why? Well, because boredom ignites a particular network in our brains, and this is where our most original thinking and problem-solving can happen. It's where we make the big plans for our lives. But you're never going to tap that brain power if you're always tapping your phone. So one thing we did was take the app that was driving us nuts off our phone for just a day. And our buddy Liam, as you heard, had multiple apps that were driving him nuts. And he liked the way that he felt when they were gone. At first, it felt weirdly lonely to look at that lock screen with no new notifications on it. But I really liked deciding for myself when to think about or access my social networks, not giving my phone the power to decide that for me. So thank you. But two years later... There's no way Liam kept those apps off his phone, did he? Guess what? The apps have stayed off my phone for over two and a half years. What? Liam! I'm currently on an incredible trip to Europe, and I've stayed off Facebook this whole time. Every time I ponder posting a photo from my adventures, I think about how I'd keep checking to see who liked it. And I think about how seeing other people's adventures on Facebook nine times out of ten ends up making me feel depressed by comparing my life to my perception of theirs. There's something about sharing my life very sparingly now that makes my experience a little richer and more introspective. I try not to proselytize. What I did was a little extreme and not for everyone. 
But if I have one bit of advice for anyone who feels held captive by their phone, it's this. Make opening apps and refreshing feeds a deliberate act on your part, not a reflexive action in response to a seductive ding or flashing alert. Notifications of likes and shares can be as thrilling as winning a slot machine and just as all-consuming. For me, turning them off turned my phone back into a quiet little tool that waits patiently for me to use it. And I love that feeling. Yay, Liam! And Liam wasn't the only one to make a big change in his life that he has stuck with. Just hear what happened to another listener who did Bored and Brilliant back in 2015. My name is Vanessa Harold, and I live in Beloit, Wisconsin. Bored and Brilliant had a huge impact on my life. Back in 2015, Vanessa was going through a tough breakup, and she wasn't sure whether to keep her farm or do something completely different. The Bored and Brilliant Challenge really helped me see that the farm could be a place to help people cultivate that sense of boredness and creativity in their lives. And that inspired me to start Make Time, which is a monthly event on the farm where people come out for a full day of retreat, basically. It's a chance for people to come, leave their cell phones at the basket at the front door. We have built a wonderful little community, and it's really something that we all look forward to every month to have a chance to gather and to leave all of the rest of life behind and give each other permission to be really present in nature and among the farm. And it's really become a wonderful and meaningful part of my life. Oh, Vanessa, I teared up when I heard this. And so, yes, dear listeners, there is a bored and brilliant farm, Vanessa's Make Time Farm. She also sent us some pictures, which we'll put in the newsletter this week. They are delightful. And I'm kind of thinking that we should be planning a note to self-retreat there. But anyway, meanwhile, thank you, Liam and Vanessa, and all the other listeners who updated us. Maybe you. Hey, note to self. My name is Naomi, and I did the Bored and Brilliant project back in 2015. One thing I did was delete the Facebook app off my phone, and two years later, I still don't have it. I recently started to use meals as my boredom times. It feels a little uncomfortable, but I think letting my thoughts wander is important to take charge of my life. At night, I leave the phone downstairs and turned off. And when I go on walks with my wife, I don't even bring it. I deleted the Instagram app because I was noticing every time I logged on, I would get kind of a stomach ache, like that anxiety stomach ache. And I thought, I don't need this. It's a time waster and it doesn't bring me joy, so I'm deleting it. I turned off all the notifications in my phone and now I'm in charge of who tells me when to use the phone, not the other way around. If these stories inspire you to get bored again or for the first time, I hope you'll check out the Bored and Brilliant book. It's got the science behind what happens in our brains when we keep tapping, why boredom is a key human emotion, a human state that we should protect and make time for. And it includes the seven steps you can take to get control over your devices. Because just spacing out can unlock your most productive and creative self. And it feels pretty darn good. Okay, at the end of the show, I'll tell you about the book tour and how we can hang out in real life. But now, someone who's been on the show before 
And in fact, he's a big part of Chapter 5 in the Bored and Brilliant book. And he's since become a friend, too. There's a million places to spend your attention, but there's a war going on to get it. Tristan Harris was at Google, but now he's trying to figure out how all those people in Silicon Valley who make the things that we carry around all day, how could they design them so that they don't take advantage of our human tendency to get distracted and keep scrolling? Or if you're younger, maybe spend a lot of time trading selfies on Snapchat. There's many things that Snapchat does. They do a default thing where when someone starts typing a message to you, it automatically notifies you just that they're typing right now, just to build up the anticipation. <laughs> I just experienced that. Yes. Yeah. It's very unnerving. You're like, somebody's writing a message to me. What's it going to say? Oh, my God, she stopped typing. Wait, <laughs> she didn't send me a message. What was she going to say? And all of those thoughts, all those feelings, all of the effects in your body as all of that experiences come up when someone starts typing to you. Is that being created because it helps you live your life and it's trying to empower you to be more effective in your life? Or is that being done because it's a great way of building anxiety and hooking you into using the product? And fundamentally, we need to have a conversation about what ethical persuasion is and what unethical persuasion is. Because the whole industry is in this race to get attention and they're not paying enough attention to what ethical persuasion might be. I feel like that's what I'm hearing more from my listeners, from people regularly. That it, At first, it was like a few people were like, I don't know, I feel kind of gross after I've been scrolling on my screen and really looking at nothing for hours on end. And now you get a sense that this is becoming part of, um, I mean, dare I use the word, wellness. Do you think we can get to a point where it is normal to say, like, uh, I'm shutting it off for the weekend and nobody expects otherwise, or that they only use a set of tech tools that align with a certain value system? Well, I think the way to have this conversation is to flip the responsibility. We always hear that technology is neutral. It's up to us to choose how we want to use it. This is like the dominant way that we talk about it. But this is fundamentally not true because this misses the fact that there's all these other people on the other side of the screen who want you to use it this particular way. And they're very, very good at it, as we know. So in terms of talking about these cultural evolutions, what we really need is to upgrade the design. At the end of the day, it's about how much time we have and what is time well spent for each of us. But mm -hmm. if I'm Facebook, my current goals are to maximize all the choices. Every choice I put on the screen is invisibly about getting you to spend more time as opposed to being mostly about getting you to be more time well spent for you in your life, whatever that would mean to you. Okay, in a minute, what upgrading the design of our technology could look like so that our brains and attention don't get hijacked? We'll be right back. We're back. It's Note to Self. Tristan Harris is one of the stars of Chapter 5 in my new book, Bored and Brilliant. He's also making a big name for himself by calling out his fellow technologists on some of the tactics that they employ to keep our eyeballs glued to our screens. Part of what I'm trying to do with Time Well Spent is actually bring together apps that are trying to do more ethical-type choices. A good example is a thing called Calendly, which helps basically anyone schedule something on your calendar, and you sort of pre-set up, like, these are the days of the week that I want to let people schedule something, and only from these hours. And then you send someone a link, and they can schedule it all you want, and you pay for the product, so they're not trying to get me to use it as much as possible. And it just opens up my life with, for brand-new time and brand-new choices that I can make. You live in San Francisco, right? Yeah. And 
are you there at least. Are you talking to people about this? Like, do you find that people at, you know, they a lot of people who work at these tech companies, when you mention this, are they scratching their heads? Like, what is their reaction? I think it's really hard. I think there's a lot of narratives you can pull from to say, oh, it's not a problem. Oh, advertising isn't so bad. Oh, what do you mean? And there's a lot of ways to explain away the problem as if it doesn't exist. And after deep conversations, I always find that people are there, but Mm -hmm. then oftentimes because there isn't an easy way out, Mm -hmm. how can you sit with an uncomfortable truth if you don't have an alternative? You know, what I find is actually some people who do figure this out, who worked at, say, YouTube or Facebook in the past, they kind of burn out and they say, I don't want to design to keep people on the screen all day. You know, that's not good for people. That's not what I, like, want to do with my life. And so some people leave. Other people, I think, say, well, we don't have an alternative. So they have to find an explanation that says, well, there's so many other good things that are coming out of this, which is 100% true. But then we don't pay back attention to, well, where are these failure modes? Where are things going wrong? How would we reduce them? And how can we recognize that we want to get off of this currency of the more attention you spend, the more money I get? So to do that, we have to come up with alternative business models that allow us to change. We should be figuring out how much would it cost us How much would you be willing to pay for a version of Facebook that was entirely built to help you spend your time well, that just focused on information that was of reputable sources and quality? I mean, that it's interesting to me whenever I say, like, I would pay for a better version of Facebook or whatever. Well, A, it annoys me that that's not an option. But B, what about the people who can't pay for this stuff? What they are paying with is their time. Like, to be poor in the tech economy is to have your time sucked away. Totally. I mean, this question always comes up because if the answer is we have to pay, then suddenly that creates this new inequality. And we don't want a world where some people can afford, you know, technology that's good for them or that works for them. And other people have to live in technology that tries to steal their time. But the unfortunate truth of the world is that in lots of different places, whether it's in credit cards or it's in food or it's in like where you can afford to live, there's structural inequality everywhere. And only people who can pay can live in a place that, you know, they can get, you know, a commute that's less than an hour long. The difference being, though, that they are not companies who were built on a promise of equality and equal access and education and connection for everyone. Yeah. And I think if we really want that, then we need the design of the landscape Mm -hmm. to be more equal. But, you know, we need to know, are there other ways to hijack your mind without you even knowing it? Since we last saw each other, I wrote this article called um, How Technology Hijacks Your Mind. And it's, you know, I I left for a weekend. I actually went to a, like, a retreat where I totally unplugged for three days. And I came back, and it had gone totally viral on the Internet. It's been read by a million people now, but it has these 10 techniques that show how people get hijacked by their everyday use of technology. And it just shows that persuasion isn't this thing about a message or an advertiser. It's just everywhere. It's literally getting you to do and think and feel stuff all the time. And that brings up this kind of uncomfortable feeling because we're like, well, where's the me in all this? What's the authentic belief or feeling that I have underneath all this? But what worries me is that just to go back to Snapchat, like if you're since the age of 12, you've been using this thing and you don't know like that sensation that you're just talking about. You don't even know, you know feeling uncomfortable that you could feel uncomfortable about this, then then it's... it's David Foster Wallace, you know, you ask a fish about the water it's swimming in and it says, what's water? Right. You know, I mean, that's why it's so important to have this conversation because we are creating a whole generation of people that are going to be growing up. You know, you and I, 
I'm 32, so I've seen the transition between some of these things. I started using the internet like seventh or eighth grade, and I had an old Mac when I first grew up on this stuff. But I, I've seen the transition, and other people are not going to see that. And actually, my kids, of, right? <laughs> and I think that speaks to a, the deepest structural problem behind of all this, which is that we essentially have technology companies, private technology companies that have now created essentially public infrastructure that we like live our lives by. I mean, the number of minutes that we spend on a screen every day, <laughs> but we don't have any representation and we don't have any transparency. And uh, this is not a complaint or an accusation. It's just a structural problem. We're just noticing. We need to transition to some kind of system where there is that. Tristan Harris is part of the movement, people. Time well spent. You can see more of him and me. Both our TED Talks just came out last month. I was freaking nervous. Tristan was invited to give his talk just the week before the conference, and it is great. So go check it out. We will link to both of them in the newsletter, which, of course, you can sign up for at notetoselfradio.org. And hey, come see me in an indie bookstore near you. I am going on book tour. So many cities. D.C., Portland, Austin. Get all the dates and details at my website, manoushz.com. And the hashtag is get bored. Yeah, how ironic is that? And if you're finding it harder to space out after all your swiping and posting these days, there has been a lot of news. We're going to give you a little help. Jen Poyant, our executive producer, has made a very weird episode with our engineer, Joe Plord. It is on the history of the word boredom, and it is actually intended to bore you in a delightfully meta way. Check it out. It's in your feed right now. Go to the next episode. Let yourself space out. And also subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And thank you. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Cunane, and Joe Plord. Many thanks to Matt Boynton for his help this week, too. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Anoush Samarodi. Technology. Oh, technology. <laughs> it's changing our lives. It's technology. What would we do without technology? technology. technology. technology.